attacks had sparked an outrage, but later federal officials raised doubts over the testimony of the victims' families. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora. OPEC takes no action to ease oil supply glut after Venezuela's plea is resisted. Oil plunges to a four-year low as the OPEC decision sinks energy shares and U.S. markets were closed due to the Thanksgiving holiday. But elsewhere, markets were up and Black Friday appears to have gone global. Mark Matthews of Julius Baird joins us today to talk about dynamics in the energy market following the conclusion of yesterday's OPEC meeting. Ira Melman of The Voice of America will explain the importance of the post-Thanksgiving shopping day known as Black Friday, which is also seen as a barometer of the traditional kickoff to Christmas sales season. And Danny Hicks, who is the editor of Sport Direct at the AFP, will share his views on the makings of a billion-dollar boxing event featuring Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. And Richard Harris of the Port Shelter Group is back as guest host. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Do you have a fun Friday fact for us? Well, the Friday fact today, you're just talking about Black Friday, which is obviously a rather unusual name. But the name originally came because uh, a, a labor market newsletter uh, did a circular in 1951 which drew attention to the suspiciously high level of sickness that day. Of course, public holiday on Thursday, it's tough to get up on Friday, as we found out this morning. I'm glad you're back, Richard. I've been missing your fun Friday facts. Mm. And thank you for that very appropriate one <laughs> for today. All right, let's look at today's top stories. World oil prices have plunged to a four-year low. Uh, this is after OPEC oil producers decided at a meeting in Vienna yesterday that they wouldn't cut their oil output. And this is also despite pleas from Venezuela to stem the route in prices. OPEC spokesperson Hassad Hafid Hamid made the announcement after a five-hour meeting. The conference concurred that stable oil prices at a level which didn't affect global economy growth, but which at the same time allowed producers to receive a decent income and to invest to meet future demand were vital for world economic well-being. Accordingly, in the interest of restoring market equilibrium, the conference decided to maintain the production level of 30 million barrels a day as was agreed in December 2011. OPEC Secretary General Abdullah Salim El-Badri says that the group will respect the 30 million barrels a day output target for the next six months. For the last uh, four uh, years or four years and a half, we have a very uh, decent price. So now price decline, that does not mean that we should really, you know, uh, rush and do something. We have to wait and see how the market will settle. I, I, as I said many times to you that we don't want to panic. I mean it, and uh, also we, we, we don't want, uh, we want to see the market, how the market behaves, because I, the decline of the price does not reflect the fundamentals change. The, the fair price is where we can invest, where we have a decent income, where the consumers will, not, will be happy to. OPEC's first female president, Diazani Alison Maduki, says that she hopes prices won't fall below $70 a barrel, but that non-OPEC members need to share the burden of these falling prices. At this point in time, 
the rollover should be sufficient to ensure that the decline in prices is kept to a minimum or erased altogether. And we would hope that um, it doesn't come to an extraordinary meeting. But of course, if and when that's necessary, we are always ready to, to call one in. We are all in this together. And it, it is not just OPEC. In fact, OPEC reducing costs at any point will not necessarily change the picture if the non-OPEC countries don't share the burden. So what does uh, uh, falling oil price mean for infl- inflation expectations? Antonin Julier, who is the global head of equity trading strategy at Citigroup, told Bloomberg that oil going weaker, oil becoming weak- weaker, does have some benefits for the global economy. Uh, it is creating um, savings and, and a lot of yeah a lot of savings around. Uh, we saw it especially in the U.S. where U.S. retail stocks have started bouncing quite a lot in the last few weeks, and that's primarily because the U.S. consumer is highly geared to the price of oil, and oil going lower means they've got more cash in their pockets and they, they can spend it. Um, the, the, the other question you can ask yourself on oil is the supply side we know, i.e. shell gas, some of the production coming online. Um, the bigger question is, is the weakness driven by a lack of demand? Therefore, can we read some growth conclusion in the, in the oil weakness? Or do we think it's quite technical because of supply, uh, supply demand? We and your take? Be, we would be in the latter. Uh, as a house, actually, we've been more bearish on oil than, than most of the uh, other banks. Um, and that was primarily driven by the supply side. So we actually published a document, uh, a piece out of research uh, this week calling oil to be between 70 and 90 on a, on a longer-term basis. So at the, at the margin, we're at the low end of that. West Texas intermediate crude tumbled 6.3% to $69.05 a barrel. And Brent fell below $72 a barrel for the first time since 2010. It's currently at $72.58. U.S. markets were closed because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Richard, can you tell us how markets fa- fared elsewhere? Well, markets outside the U.S. were live and kicking uh, and generally buoyant after German unemployment figures came in at a pleasing 6.6%. The German DAX was up 0.6% at 9,975 and the Cacarant was up 0.2% to 4,382. The FTSE bucked that bullish trend, closing narrowly down at 6,723 as the big oil stocks weighed on the index. In Asia, Shanghai has continued its rally to end exactly 1% up yesterday. Uh, it's now at a three-year high at 2,631, and Shanghai is now up 9% in November with just one day to go. Hong Kong was up 0.5%, and Tokyo finished 0.8% down to 17,249, breaking a four-day rally. The U.S. long bonds currently trading at 2.24%, and gold, despite the oil price fall, gold's uh, fairly steady trading at 1,190. All right. In a speech to be delivered to the uh, in a speech delivered to the Finnish uh, to be delivered to the Finnish, oh, I'm I'm getting very tongue tied, Richard. I guess I'm just excited at seeing you back here on Money for Nothing. <laughs> in a speech that was to be delivered to the Finnish Parliament later yesterday, Draghi uh, conceded that the euro area outlook is surrounded by a number of downside risks, uh, those being unemployment, a lack of productivity and structural reforms. Um, Antonin says, uh, Ant- that's Antonin Julier from uh, Citigroup, says that the big question is what the ECB will do next.
And that's what been tested by the market over the course of October. Um, and the primary question is what happens to the size of the balance sheet of ECB? Um, as much as uh, Mr. Draghi and the ECB have tried to deploy capital and liquidity into the market, they've been struggling because of technical issues around MROs and LTROs. And the fact that the speed at which they deploy the, the, the capital is actually uh, on the slow side. And as it stands, the balance sheet is still contracting. I guess that would be our biggest worry at, the, at this stage, uh, just because of the or the disinflationary pressure in the case of Europe. Um, that said, I would argue a lot of the positioning reflects that. We've seen a huge amount of VAT flows out of Europe. We've seen uh, from a passive as well as active side. Um, and we saw it last Friday. It doesn't take much of, of little new news from, from Draghi to create a sizable squeeze in the market. The, the market is starting to, um, to believe a little bit more in, in, in what Draghi has been saying. Uh, the euro is clearly pricing it, and that is a positive for Europe. Uh, we're going to need to see harder facts for the the banks and the risk assets to start bouncing more. So, Richard, uh, lots of news impacting markets, albeit the U.S. is closed. I mean, we've had all of this discussion about oil and Draghi's comments. What do you think are the biggest factors impacting markets as you see it? Well, I think this oil price uh, factor is clearly a, a big issue. I mean, Venezuela uh, and others wanted output to be cut by 2 million barrels a day in order to push the price up. Uh, currently, OPEC's uh, pumping about 31 billion barrels a day, so that's 1 million over uh, what they are supposed to do um, but some of these companies are in some some countries in some difficulty Venezuela needs something like $160 a barrel oil to, to balance their budget so so it's starting to hurt quite a bit. The big problem that OPEC have is that the swing producer is Saudi Arabia. Everybody wants Saudi Arabia to cut production and they don't want to be the only guys doing it And um, why does what you, you know, I'm, I'm just there are two sides to this okay on one hand you know falling oil prices are somewhat good for the global economy but then you've got these other countries and some of them within OPEC also uh, Nigeria Ecuador Iran whose government finances are under pressure by this plunge in prices I mean in the case of Iran reduction in production is aggravated by sanctions so you know why the reluctance then to help out well, I think Saudi Arabia, which is looking at it in this situation, they feel they don't want to be the only ones to take the hit. And they know that they probably will be the only ones to take a hit because what happens is most countries will try and increase production a little bit to increase their revenues. Um, so you've got this tension within OPEC. Um, and, but you've also got people outside OPEC who are being affected. Russia, for instance, they're uh, apparently the... Uh, break-even price that they need is $110 a, a barrel, which is quite high. Um, there's lots of talk about whether uh, this is going to impact shale oil in the U.S. And in the U.S., uh, you can pump shale oil for as low as $40 or as expensive as 115 So the shale oil industry isn't going to be cut by this. Um, but on the margin, it's probably going to be impacted. All right, let's bring in Mark Matthews, who is the head of Asia Research at Julius Baer. He joins us on the show today. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Manita. So, Mark, what do you make of today's news and specifically your thoughts on how it's impacting us here in Asia? Well, I think uh, given the reaction in the oil price, it has to be said it was a surprise because the oil price tanked overnight. And I think that a lot of people felt uh, OPEC would cut because it's losing uh, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, at this price by not cutting. It's already producing 
600,000 barrels per day over its existing quota. And the market is oversupplied by about 800,000 barrels per day. So um, I think, uh, you know, it was clearly a surprise uh, in the markets. But um, as Richard observed, Saudi is not going to take the brunt of this bitter pill on behalf of anybody else, knowing that it could weather a period of low pricers. And I guess what they're doing, uh, as Richard also said, to reassert themselves is uh, letting the oil price crater to such an extent that those U.S. shale companies basically just stop and respect the balance of power. And Mark, what's the impact on Asia? Because here we are sitting in a region which actually doesn't have any oil or any that's been discovered in um, the serious marketable quantities. This must be good for the region. Absolutely. I mean, uh, really, there's only one country that suffers badly, which is Australia, because uh, they have so many LNG products down there, projects, excuse me. But importers like uh, Japan, Singapore, Thailand uh, will, will certainly benefit as well as, uh, I mean, the ones who benefit the most in, in order of priority are Sri Lanka, Vietnam, and India. Uh, So really, everybody benefits in this part of the world except poor Australia. What about Indonesia? I think they also benefit too because they're a net importer. Uh, Judging by... Sorry, go ahead. No, just I was just looking at um, other markets. Japan, of course, is, is always the one that people uh, hold out as being very sensitive to the oil price, but it's not on your top hit list. Well, you know, because it's a very wealthy country at the margin, the uh, the energy cost is not as big of a constituent in their in their consumer uh, price uh, index inflation. Um, so, no, it's really the poorer countries where uh, the higher oil price hurts people more. I was just going to say that judging by the comments so far that we've heard, OPEC doesn't seem to be too concerned about prices dropping too much just yet. Uh, Mark, I'm curious, do you think that OPEC will probably hold another meeting if prices do continue to decrease? Uh, well, I think a few of their uh, their spokespeople did say they're ready to react uh, you know, if necessary, but that's the sort of you know, nebulous commentary that central banks have been feeding us for the last five years and uh, doesn't really mean anything. I I mean, I personally think the price is heading um, significantly further south uh, because unless Saudi uh, cuts, uh, the others will not cut. I mean, Venezuela is certainly not going to cut their production, either is Iran. And so uh, I think the Saudis are just going to wait to kill the North American market. But that's probably going to take, in my mind, at least six months. And when you say significantly, Mark, what are your what's your target on that? Uh, I could I could easily see WTI uh, at the uh, low of two th- uh, thousand ten. It got down to sixty four dollars. Brent got down to sixty six. But you know, I could easily see it uh, in the five handle as well. All right, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank that you. is Mark Matthews. He's the head of Asia Research at Julius Baer. And uh, Richard, uh, once again, it's just all about the base. Because you know I'm all about that base, about that base, no trouble. I'm all about that base, about that base, no trouble. I'm all about that base, about that base, no trouble. I'm all about that base, about that base, base, base. Well, we'll see if those uh, oil prices continue to drop after this. A quick look at the numbers. Uh, the Nikkei is up uh, half a percent to 17,338. Australia's ASX is down 1.2% to 5,315. And Seoul's Kospi is currently up just uh, marginally to 1,983.
Well, today is Black Friday, which in the U.S. is the day after the Thanksgiving holiday when retailers begin to offer their products meant for the holiday season deeply discounted. It's grown from there with many shops and stores starting their sales earlier and requiring their employees to be at work rather than to be at home celebrating the uh, traditional Thanksgiving dinner with family and friends. One New York-based uh, market analyst firm, analysis firm has carried out a survey that shows that this year's Black Friday sales activity will reflect a growing U.S. economy, providing an impetus to world markets. So our correspondent, Ira Melman from The Voice of America, spoke with Nick Colas, who is the chief market strategist for that firm, Convergex, about their Black Friday survey. We were curious to find out how important Black Friday sales uh, from retailers were to how investors think about the economy in the U.S., how they think about retail stocks, how they think about the health of the retail sector generally. And we found that predominantly uh, investors and people on Wall Street, they do think Black Friday sales are pretty important. Uh, They view it especially important from determining the health of the retail sector. 74% of our respondents said it was either uh, strong or very strong as an indicator of overall retail sector health. Interestingly, we found our respondents also thought that retail sales would be up anywhere from 2 to 6% on Black Friday, which is a nice comparison to last year. What led up to the numbers that you have? What do you think goes into it? As far as the questions you asked, why are people in your sampling ready to go out to the stores instead of ordering online or whatever, or does this include online? Why are they doing this? Sure, a couple of points. First, online e-commerce is what we called it, was the number one expected growth area for holiday 2014. Uh, Our respondents were very clear and said they thought more online shopping was going to happen now versus last year or years prior. So the online trend is very important. As far as why they're confident about overall retail sales, it comes down to really three basic economic points. The first is the job market is slowly improving in the U.S., so that's a helpful point. The second point is that gas prices are trending downward, which is very helpful for consumer spending. The the break in oil prices is very good for the U.S. consumer in terms of putting money in their pocket. And then finally, and we're just really seeing this shape up now, consumer confidence is improving modestly as well. It isn't quite back to the record levels we saw in 07, for example, but it's much better than it has been in prior years. In the rest of the world, what's the effect of a good Black Friday in U.S. markets and even in overseas markets? I think there's at least two very important trends as far as how overseas uh, economic participants might look at Black Friday. You know, if you are, say, in China and you sell to the U.S., Black Friday is a really important measure of just how strong the holiday season will be, and that's what our survey showed. Uh, the second is that really, on a global macroeconomic basis, a strong U.S. economy is a good engine, a good foundation for economic growth around the world. You know, as your listeners probably know, the European economic situation is still quite weak. Uh, Japan is slowing modestly, and other more emerging parts of the of the world economy need the growth that the U.S. can offer. And so it's really important to have the U.S. economy on a solid footing in order to give other regions of the world an equal chance at economic prosperity. In this survey, you apparently ask people who are traders who work on Wall Street what they're going to spend for the holidays and what they're going to buy. What is it? 
Well, we uh, did ask the question, what is the amount that you plan to spend on your spouse? And the answer that we got was about $900 on the spouse. We don't really have a comparable number to prior years, but it struck us as a fairly healthy number, a fairly robust number, and a positive number for the economy overall if they actually follow through and spend that amount. Richard, are you spending uh, $900 on your spouse today? She might be listening. Yes, I think you better prepare for that. Yeah, I'm zipped on that. What do you think of this uh, festival created around the idea of shopping and uh, especially the fact that it is a U.S invention that appears to have gone global it is it's very interesting I, i've just come back from the uk and and already there were advertising uh, uh, black friday even though there's no thanksgiving holiday to sort of make the break but about four years ago um people shopping on amazon realized that they could get great deals on friday uh, in the states so they were buying out of the states now that's moved now to the uk and um, they're now talking about the three a's making it big amazon Apple and Asda. Asda is an offshoot of Walmart uh, and a supermarket. So all the supermarkets have now been brought in, Tesco and Sainsbury's, the classic supermarkets there, uh, and John Lewis. So you have this burgeoning um, uh, idea of shopping before Christmas. Yeah, and it seems to be taking root in other parts of the world. I mean, uh, in that clip that Nick Colas was talking to uh, Ira about uh, China. Now, China had their, I I suppose you could call it their version, if you will, of Black Friday, although they say it's their version of Valentine's Day. A few weeks ago, that was Singles Day, and it was the largest online shopping event, um, I think, in the world. What do you think of... uh, the online shopping market versus the offline is there is there a chance for offline to survive well i think so because i think there are a lot of things where people like to go into a shop and certainly if there's one day they may do some pre-shopping beforehand and and then buy online i mean some of the figures that visa are coming up uh this year we're looking at about 22 percent increase in sales on black friday this year and that's a shopping spend of something like a million pounds every three minutes on credit cards all right well the time is now 8 24 and we'll be back to talk more about sport right after this if you have a monetary dispute with a financial institution and cannot reach an agreement after rounds of negotiation the financial dispute resolution center may be able to help Mediators can help if your claim does not exceed $500,000. Mediation is confidential and saves time and money. The goal is to find a win-win solution. For more information on the Financial Dispute Resolution Center, please call our hotline on 3199-5199. Is a potential billion-dollar boxing showdown in the making? Chris Oliver talks with our sports reporter, Danny Hicks, to find out more. Over to you, Chris. Thank you, Renita. Last weekend's victory by Filipino welterweight Manny Pacquiao over Chris Algieri in Macau lays the groundwork for what could be a record prize money bout next year. That would be with the undefeated American boxer Floyd Mayweather. The mega event uh, is estimated to net as much as a billion U.S. dollars in revenue. Uh, We're joined now by Danny Hicks. He's editor of Sport Direct at AFP. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Chris. So why would there be such a huge uh, prize money bout uh, in the shaping here? Well, it's the the fight that the whole world wants to see, for one thing, and boxing is crying out for a a big money, big title clash, uh, not since the days of the sort of... Ali Foreman, uh, 
uh, Ali Frazier matchups in the in the 70s has anything generated the interest that this fight would generate you've got Floyd May- Mayweather on the one hand 47 and 0 undefeated and you've got Manny Pacquiao eight weight eight division world champion from the Philippines you've got the best of the generations they've never fought each other and it's time to get this fight on and the amazing thing is that this fight as as we, as you've said could generate up to a billion dollars in revenue this would dwarf anything the sporting world has ever seen just to put it in perspective the super bowl uh this year i think we all agree is probably that one of the biggest events in the world that generated 245 million dollars in advertising revenue and if you add in all the pizza sales and everything else probably up up to a half a billion dollars but this would be a billion and the key to it is to get into the chinese market so this part of the world has a big part to play in it we should just mention here that uh uh, Mr. Pacquiao is something of a national hero in the Philippines. Absolutely. He's a congressman and uh, uh, an extraordinary... Well, he's an extraordinary individual, philanthropist, congressman, army rever- reservist, basketball player, and uh, probably the best boxer we've seen around in the, in the ring for the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, but the, just to put some, some numbers on it, we are, we are a money program. Normally a fight of this magnitude in the States would generate in pay-per-view terms uh, with one of the big pay-per-view networks. We've got HBO and Showtime. Uh, would generate around $300 million. Now the key to this is that Bob Arum and his top-ranked organisation that represent Pacquiao are moving into the Chinese market and this is why they've been staging events in Macau. This was Pacquiao's second world title event in Macau. And also they've got Zhou Shiming on their books, double Olympic gold medalist from China, a national hero in China. And his fights are, uh, are supposed to generate something like 300 million viewers in China when they're so shown free ha- to air. Has, has there ever been a pay-per-view boxing match? No, there hasn't. And this is, this is uh, what Top Rank and Aram and also a, a, a huge Chinese events company called Seiko, and I met Sheng Li, who's the head of that in Macau last week, are trying to get into. They're staging a professional boxing match in Shanghai le- next month, which will be the second this year and only the second ever in China. They have a, uh, they have a weekly boxing show which top rank promotes on on chinese tv and now they're looking at, at with the help of the chinese government uh of putting on the first ever pay-per-view boxing in china now they, they wouldn't be looking at that sort of hundred dollars a fight that you pay in the states for this but something like five to ten dollars per person to 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 just, buy in to watch this fight just to kind of wrap up danny do you reckon that uh, floyd mayweather uh well his his group and team will actually agree to them well i think uh, you know Mayweather's nickname is Money, and uh, he loves money, and he spends it quite prolifically. And I think there comes a point where there's a feeling that he's been running away from Pacquiao because he fears he might lose his legacy of of being undefeated because Pacquiao is the one man who could actually beat him. But uh, if there's enough money on the table, and Mayweather himself could pick up something in the region of $150 million, which would be the single biggest purse ever picked up by a boxer if this fight goes ahead, I think money talks, and uh, Mayweather will finally sign on the dotted line and we could see this fight somewhere around May next year. And second on the bill will be our own Chinese fighter, Zhou Shiming, fighting for a world title All as right, well. All right, we'll be watching for that. Thank you very much. That's Danny Hicks, editor of Sport Direct at AFP. And thank you, Chris, uh, for that very interesting segment on boxing. All right, time for a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up three quarters of a percent to 17,379. Australia's ASX index is down 1.1% to 5,000. 
318 and Seoul's Kospi is down one-fifth of a percent to 1,977. In currencies, one euro will buy you 1.24 US dollars. One US dollar is currently worth 118 yen and one pound sterling will buy you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 18 cents. Gold is also down three-fifths of a percent to $1,188.90 per ounce. So, Richard, here we are at the end of the show. It's Black Friday. We're heading into the weekend. Uh, what should we be thinking about this weekend besides sleep before we meet on Monday? Well, before we meet on Monday, you always ask the difficult ones. I actually think at this time of year that um, time is getting short. All the analysts are complaining that their 2015 reviews have to be in. Um, really, you have to stop investing in the first, second week of December. So um, whatever you're going to do, you've got to do it in the next week. Oh, let's definitely pick up that discussion on Monday. All right. Thank you so much to Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. He is back as our regular Friday co-host. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up uh, for Money for Nothing this week. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches in the morning and night. Currently, the temperature is 22 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 88%. Now it's time for the news summary with Todd Harding. World oil oil prices have plunged 6% to a four-year low after OPEC oil producers decided not to cut their output. The decision was made at their meeting in Vienna, which considered whether to reduce crude supply in order to shore up crude prices. OPEC spokesman Hassan Hafid Hamid made the announcement after a five-hour meeting. The conference concurred that stable oil prices at a level which didn't affect global economic growth, but which at the same time allowed producers to receive a decent income and to invest to meet future demand were vital for world economic well-being. Accordingly, in the interest of restoring market equilibrium, the conference decided to maintain the production level of 30 million barrels a day, as was agreed in December 2011. Journalist organisations have condemned the arrest of an Apple Daily cameraman for assaulting a police officer, accusing the force of suppressing press freedom. Wang Chun-Lung was held for about eight hours overnight after the alleged incident in Mong Kok. The Journalists Association said handcuffing a reporter covering a public protest is what it called an escalation of anti-media actions in police operations. RTHK's Damon Pang sent this report.